Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Big week in sports on and off the court, maybe in the financing of facilities. We'll get to that in a minute, but uh, it's a time where you can reflect on how important it is in this trillion-dollar business of sports. Many, many issues, global, international, all over, and the global head of Reuters Digital, certainly one of the most profoundly impactful people on Earth, Dan Calaruso. How's that? Uh, why limit it to Earth? That's, that's what I'm wondering. I don't know. Your, your constituency, I think, is more grounded on this planet. But, you know, you can go elsewhere. Well, you know, they, they discovered a new planet yesterday, NASA, uh, right? Some laboratory, not NASA, but a laboratory in London uh, or in, in Europe uh, discovered a new planet. Nonetheless. Is that number nine or ten? Do we count Pluto planet, as a planet? No, it's not actually in our, in our solar system, but it's, it's, it's further away. Nonetheless, oh. speaking of other planets, Washington, D.C., Yeah, right, exactly. Don't waste your time on this stuff. Let's get to the real stuff. I want your Uh, take. uh, I want your take here. Yeah, my take is, and remember, full disclosure, I I, I did this for 100 years, uh, the kind of uh, reverse Robin Hood of of, uh, taking uh, the the money and and, and giving it to rich owners, some would say. But, you know, I I did maybe $12 billion of public-private financing in my era with the NFL and otherwise. And now the Republican tax bill is threatening to basically do away with tax-exempt financing, which 15 to 20 percent of a deal, possibly not these days with rates, but it was before. And the Brookings Institute says that you're losing a lot of money at the federal level. But of course, the flip side of that is you're getting money at the local level for development opportunities. It is cast today as a let the taxpayers pay this for the rich owners, but it's bigger than that. Most of the mayors who are weighing in on this are saying, let us choose our own destiny, but also it's development opportunities, it is uh, economic impact of major events, not all events. And so there is a, a you know, substantial impact of getting these facilities done, and that's my take. Yeah, I think you know, you've made me a convert. Uh, to this, I wow, seriously, I, yeah, really, I, I, you know, for years, you and I were we have been friends for ages, and um, you know, we've talked about this a fair amount. I always mock the rich owners trying to suck money out of you know municipalities, but when you look at it at the muni bond level, and you look at the investment in infrastructure that this country needs, and the investment in economic development, you know, um, stadiums and complexes and arenas in this current economy may be the factories of this commercial generation. Uh, And I think it's a really interesting take that they go after this, looking at what the federal government loses, but not looking at expanding the tax bases of the places where they are. I mean, why isn't, if if the tax cut is, is an investment in economic growth, why is this piece of economic growth left on the table? Uh, and it's and it's interesting because the muni bond market certainly probably likes the balance of arena and stadium bonds compared to hospitals, highways, and other more mundane, uh, more risky um, financing. So I I think it's an interesting. And it, look, it may be my politics, um, 
but you've converted me to this, and I think this is incredibly uh, short-sighted. I do have the opportunity. We're taping. It's Wednesday night, and uh, I'm doing an interview with Mark Cuban tonight on, at a public panel here at Reuters, and I plan on asking him uh, that very question and how that impacts him as an owner. So if we get a highlight from that, we'll have it on next week's show. Well, that's a good thing. And let's put it in the context of the framing that you exactly did, because one thing that I've known after all of my years doing this, uh, this it, it's rare that you discuss this issue from this perspective. It's actually, in, in a way, taking money from the states and giving it to the feds. Uh, and, and it's not, you know, it's never been cast that way. Uh, the other piece of this, by the way, you ought to know is that uh, the, uh, some of the hallmark WPA projects of the 30s, ironically, were stadiums, the Coliseum, the Orange Bowl. Yeah. And, uh, you know, why is it infrastructure then and not infrastructure now? Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. And listen, um, you know, you and I agree on this. We don't, have to, we don't have to beat the dead horse. But I do think that, you know, you've made this point really well. Um, events, arenas, um, these venues are used year-round now. Um, there are times when maybe it's, you know, it doesn't work for the taxpayers. But that's more the deal structure than the very existence of the deal, I think. And I, uh, you know... And that's, you know, that's the market. Uh, but the, the actual structure of the deal and leaving these exemptions for cities to kind of raise money and get a little benefit from it um, is, is a tough one. But anyway, we can move on to our next topic because I don't want to. Well, we will. But, but, but you know, we're in an alternative universe because you agree with me and complimented me. So so let's uh, let's rack this one and up. Now and now we're going to talk and, about and, the Premier League. Is those a totally alternative universe because Colorado yeah, is loving soccer and, and, right now. And you're going to like it yeah. because, you know, that, that's because we're not really talking about the Premier League. We're talking about Amazon Prime Video and where it's going. And, of course, they just cut a deal with Manchester City. And they've also done a, 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 a deal uh, at $13 million there. But they've also have streaming rights for the ATP World Tour, NBC, NFL's Thursday Night Football, and on and on. And, you know, Amazon's shown its willingness to spend the big money on new ventures and, of course, the leagues love it because what it does is not just the short-term cash, but it primes, of pun intended, another bidder into the pump. And if you have five bidders for three packages, what does that mean? Higher rights fees for everybody. You know, Amazon holds the potential to become the elephant in the room in terms of sports rights. It has enough cash and enough cash flow to compete with the networks for rights to live games if it chooses to do so. It has enough cash, it has enough clout, and it has enough audience to become partners with the league if it wants to, with any league, uh, any of the major professional leagues, and actually take over some of the rights to second-tier sports that you know, have these niche audiences that, can, that Amazon technology can enable maximization of. So Amazon has the cash, the leverage, <laughs> the audience to become the player in this game. And I think it's interesting that they're doing this behind-the-scenes show as original programming it mimics what HBO has done with the NFL. Uh, it's a very, very smart move because they realize the cult-like status of sports. You will watch it because it's your team. You will watch it because it's a team you hate. And there's, there's, there's audience traction in there that's unique. And it's unique and actually higher earning potential, more affluent and more consistent than maybe entertainment content. I think it's ideal. I think it's a great move for Amazon. I think uh, for, Man, for Man City... It's terrific as well. It gets them some exposure. Uh, and again, it gives them the opportunity to pinpoint and exploit their audience at a super high level. So, you know, um, props to Jeff Bezos. He never struck me as much of an athlete, but it seems like he's working out these days. So maybe, you know, sports is going to become a bigger deal uh, to Amazon. 
Well, and, and by the way, a shameless plug, but I, I was uh, speaking at a conference yesterday in Toronto where we had all of the big-time Canadian media, including Rogers, Sportsnet, and TSN, you know, the two big giants yeah. up there, and I was moderating the two guys that run both and asked them what they were most afraid of or what they thought would be the biggest disruptor, and not surprisingly, they said Snapchat and, and, and uh, Google uh, and Amazon in the group of outsiders who have the leverage to come in and make it work. Your comment is uh, Amazon may have more leverage than everybody else, but at the end of the day, it might be ironic that when the next round of rights fees come in, these guys lead the day and maybe the Foxes and the ASPNs and others joint venture with them. Denied today, but a few years from now, who knows? Oh, absolutely. Ab- you're going to absolutely need the extension. Um, and I think it, it makes sense. And what And what these audiences value the pieces of this game and the pieces of the sport that these audiences value, like fantasy and football, right? Like the fantasy audience is probably bigger than the game audience, right? Um, those pieces that are valued on the social channels are going to become the higher margin pieces for the leagues. So their, 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 their game, the actual games become a, a financial instrument and everything else becomes derivatives, higher margin derivatives that you, that you slice off of it. So it's, it's, the model is evolving and I think we're going to see a lot in the next couple of years. Totally agree. And the other trend from yesterday, which is one that it doesn't take much to figure out, is globalization and uh, teams uh, and leagues reaching to other countries. And, you know, why not China? The Timberwolves and Boston Bruins have both set their sights on China. The Timberwolves are trying to figure out how to take the investment that was made with Shanghai sports marketers becoming the first Chinese investor in an NBA team, buying a 5% stake back in 2006. And the Bruins are trying to ride the wave that Gary Bettman created. The Kings and others have been over there. So the Bruins are trying to be the team. You know, in hockey, they're neophytes. China has uh, you know vast resources, but they don't know who to root for. So why not the Bruins? And in basketball, why not the Timberwolves? Oh, it's, it's, you know, it, look, it, the expansion and, and doing more than the one game a year or whatever you, you talk about, you know, uh, the dynamic being in just marketing, the actual connection to that market is going to be what's important because China's still in that nascent stage. And, you know, we could talk about kids camps and youth sports development, but it's even about more. It's about, you know, finding the natural audience and showing them the excitement and creating the loyalty that makes them come back. It's worked with baseball in Japan because uh, American baseball has Japanese players. It's worked from time to time for the NBA in China, um, specifically with Yao Ming. But what is it, what is it going to take to create something more permanent that's more based on foundational principles than the odd personality, um, you know, the one-off personality? So I think it's, they're interesting. I, you know, if you were putting a deal like this together, Rick, do you look at the larger cities? Do you look at a big corporate sponsor? I mean, the great thing is there are, you know, 10 cities in China that could become viable major American cities, right? Um, Population-wise. Do you just look to get a portion of those? Do you look to isolate it geographically? How do you think they, they think about these deals when they go in? You cut the deal first with either the team or league, and you make the argument that you're the pioneer, so you ought to get the lion's share of the revenues because the other teams have equal access, but you came up with it first. Then you find a corporation that's going to come with you, theoretically one that's already aligned with you here in America, and then you find the cities and you pick them off the top, and maybe you throw in an AEG or an IMG or an Octagon or one of the big companies to help market the development of those arena relationships, and you mix your soup, and all of a sudden you have a deal that other teams in other leagues are emulating. You get into China quicker than otherwise. 
It makes total sense. It makes total sense. And it's a market they have to be in. I mean, again, the U.S. market is rung dry in terms of profit margin, not in terms of pure revenue. So you need to go find your margin. Yeah, exactly. So I, we've covered a lot of different sports. This interview that we're about to introduce you to was, was really a special one. I grew up, uh, um, uh, <laughs> he's a contemporary anyway, uh, emulating Cal Ripken, uh, not just because of his Ironman streak, but also because he really um, wanted to honor his father, created the Cal Ripken uh, Senior Foundation, building all of these fields all over the country. The peg is interesting. He's cutting a ribbon as we speak, as we're taping at a field he did with Eddie Murray, uh, and he's doing this all over the country. So it's not just sports philanthropy. It's not just how to be a great athlete. It's not just a role model, an iconic hero. But we spent a good deal of time with the Iron Man, Cal Ripken. Hall of Famer Cal Ripken, Ripken Baseball, Ripken Foundation. But today we're going to focus on the second and third more than anything else. A little bit of an elevator speech about the Ripken Baseball piece, the foundation, how they all come together. Um, I'm not very good in an elevator. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> oh. pretend this one takes a little while to get to the top. I got you. We uh, got the idea to start the foundation in my dad's name. So it's Cal Ripken Senior Foundation. Dad's life was all about helping kids. He did it through his uh, help in the minor leagues, trying to get kids in the big leagues, acted as a father for many of the kids that came from diverse backgrounds. But he used to use baseball to help kids in the communities that he was in. And I thought that was his magic. So Billy and I started the foundation to help kids that didn't have all the same advantages, and we'd use baseball to do that. And uh, we've had some success. We thought that we wouldn't help a handful of kids, and that, and that would be meaningful enough. But the important thing is we're helping kids. Your dad's managing a career was very important in Miami. And one, two fields, all-star game this year in Miami in conjunction with the commissioner of Major League Baseball. So you had a chance to kind of come back. Well, I mean, uh, any time that we were in, it uh, was a minor league uh, um, city at the time, we were playing minor league baseball, you always had a real reach into the community. Minor league baseball, by its nature, is, uh, is kind of a community gathering place. And so we had a grip into there, and we all felt that uh, the community grabbed us while we were there. So it's always fun to go back. And in this case, many, many, many years later, um, Major League Baseball um, at the site of the All-Star Games are trying to energize um, the, uh, the local youth game and get yeah. ballparks finished. And that fits in right exactly what we're doing. But all the players that came back, uh, it provided a really uh, nice uh, backdrop and the, the field turned out really great. But I always say the best part about any field that yeah. you do, you know, the, the ribbon cutting ceremony will all uh, stick our chest out and it'll look the best it's gonna, ever going to look. But the beauty of the field is when you sneak back and you see kids actually playing on it and enjoying the field. Well, and the bottom line is the field, as we know, are so much more important than fields themselves. Your mandate is a field is the kind of physical manifestation, but it's, it's education, it's training, it's teamwork, increased graduation rates, self-worth. There's a whole lot of value that comes out of that, doesn't you know, it? We would call it an outdoor classroom, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, if we're sitting there talking, in our elevator speech, maybe yeah. I'll add that into yeah, our we're, we're not speech. In, we're not anywhere near the top, so we've got a way to go. So the outdoor classroom, it's a, it's a place, a safe place, yeah. you know, in, in some areas that aren't so safe. Um, a safe place for kids to develop and grow. And uh, there's a curriculum, there's a way uh, of thinking, there's a mentorship building that uh, takes place on those fields. Um, but you, you, you push kids away really quickly when you say it's a classroom. Yeah. It, it's a baseball field, it's for fun. But the interest here is we're not looking for big league players, we're yeah. looking to, for big league people. Baseball is an interesting sport. You don't have to be the biggest, strongest, and fastest. There's certain skills that you can apply. Many times we see out here that kids of the smallest size have the most success swinging a bat. They have an instinct, instinct, a hand-eye coordination, and some power. And the bigger kids haven't figured that out yet. 
And so it's really gratifying to see how sometimes roles can change. But baseball is a beautiful sport. Um, it, uh, it, it, it's for all types of kids, all shapes and all sizes. Um, and we think it fits really well trying to get them uh, moving in the right direction. You come back to a place like this, you look back years after it opens. What gives you the most satisfaction? Sneaking back. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't, down by the way, the you, can't, you can't sneak anyway. Oh yeah, you can you sneak. Can, you can you, sneak? You can sneak. Okay. Um, uh, unannounced, you just kind of come in, you're yeah. uh, coming into Baltimore and you say, I wonder what's happening over there in that field. And you'll kind of cruise over and look at it. When you see what's going on out there, that's, that, 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 that's the real stuff that happens when you're not there. And that's the stuff that makes you feel good. So to me, that's the beauty of a place like this. Come back, first of all, you want to come back and make sure it's, yeah. it still looks good and still uh, feel fine. But for me personally, it's the activity on the field that you witness. Here's why I do it. When I was a kid, I remember how important every word that a big league baseball player said. Yeah. I remember reading a Sports Illustrated article that had Willie Stargell said, you make it to the big leagues on talent, you stay because you're smart. And then I literally thought that being smart, meaning doing well in school, would help my chances to be a big league baseball player. And so it made me focus and concentrate on, uh, on uh, my schoolwork. And so you never know what impact you're gonna have on a, uh, on a kid, but I know that it's, it's there. And, and to me, I just wanted to make sure that any impact that I had would have been positive. What does Cal Ripken do five years from now? Where are you? Probably opening field number 150. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, I don't know. I mean, I just turned 57. So you're at a stage in your life where you're looking at uh, slowing down a bit. Um, you're not slowing down. But uh, this, this gives you a, a lot of, uh, and maybe you, look, maybe you look back on as, uh, um, maybe you're not uh, looked, looked at as a baseball player and, and maybe you stand for something else. Yeah. And so the second part of your life is about helping kids and I'd be happy to remem be remembered that way. Cal Ripken, it is an honor. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. The producer, Alex Cohn. Associate producers, Freddie Joyner and Ryan Warner. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins and Ronnie Sokatch. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Rick Haro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.